Welcome to Keep the Game Beautiful podcast. Each week, I highlight incredible people who are doing amazing things in soccer, the beautiful game. I'm Anna Turi, your host. Thank you for listening. One of the main reasons I started this podcast, Keep the Game Beautiful, is to highlight important stories about amazing people. I've had a lot of big names on my podcast. You might have heard them on the news or on TV. You might have read an article by them, or you might have watched them play. But you may not know about today's guest. Today's guest is Hank Rook. He is one of the main reasons I'm as passionate as I am today. And when I first started out my soccer career as a little 11-year-old, he inspired my whole journey. So you'll hear a lot of background noise today. I interviewed Hank in a very public setting. It was very helpful to get used to it for a convention because in convention, I'll have to use my portable speakers and there's going to be a lot of a noise. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I hope it gets you used to a convention, which I'll bring you some amazing stories also. Today I talk with Hank Rook. Hank is really involved with AYSO. When I first decided to play soccer after moving to Iowa, I happened to get placed on his team. I knew very little about the sport, although I had attended a few college games. Anyone who spends time with Hank knows how much he, soccer is a part of his life. As the regional commissioner for the Cedar Rapids AYSO region, a volunteer position, he helps to organize hundreds of volunteers and around 2,400 kids per year. Hank did grow up in the Netherlands, and his, in his employment he also lived in Erva and now in Iowa. Hank, could you share a little bit more about your background? Maybe what positions you used to play and how many years you've been involved in the game? The position that I played was between the trees. <laughs> I didn't play organized soccer at all. I didn't play club soccer. I just played in the neighborhood. Like kids play basketball on the driveway over here. Just played in a neighborhood grass field and you either played one on one, two on two, or 20 on 20, depending on how many kids showed up. So extra positions. Not till I moved here to the United States and played right here next to you. I started out midfield and then I had so many colleagues and friends that got tired after five or ten minutes that I became a center back very quickly. And that's what I did for the last 20 years. How long have you been playing soccer? Man, like I said, not organized, but probably since I was like two or so enough to run around on a piece of grass. Because it's, it's by far the, the, the number one sport in the Netherlands. There's soccer and a whole bunch of nothing. And then uh, you get a whole bunch of other sports like skating and, and volleyball, ice, well, not even ice hockey, field hockey. Some ice hockey, but not much. But soccer is by far the most popular sport. On this podcast, Keep the Game Beautiful, I, each week I start with the same few questions. So first, what does the beautiful game mean to you? What does the beautiful game to me? Uh, so man, from uh, from playing it, it uh, it's an easy an easy sport to play. You don't need much equipment for it, so it's it's easy to just with uh, a couple of other players uh, play on a piece of grass and you can kick the ball around. Where a lot of other sports you need more equipment or you need more players to be able to uh, to, to play it. Uh, from uh, watching it, following it. Uh, professional level uh, it's a very exciting sport to watch where there's uh, before the VAR a very free-flowing game uh, 
that's that's a part that I love of the game. That's why I hate VAR so much. It it, it stops the game for sometimes five minutes before they make a decision on on what way to go. I I I believe in um, the the spirit of the game, the spirit of the laws, where where the referees let the game go as much as possible, as long as it's been fair and safe. And where VAR comes in, it it's it's no longer is go by the spirit but the game. If you look at the English Premier League games from the last couple of weeks, where they decided based on inches offside or even a sixteenth of an inch offside that a goal was disallowed, oh, it just annoys the crap out of me. No, I, I like I like um, this, the fact that it's low-scoring sport where you can celebrate a goal and still celebrate it while the um, game continues before it even um, gets another ball in the net, like with basketball. What are actions or things you do to keep the game beautiful? I'm th I think I'm very passionate. And you know that, but that's, that's how I think I, I grew your passion as well when you started playing here in Cedar Rapids. And I know it's contagious. And um, when people are passionate about something, um, they grow it. They radiate the same passion, just like you're doing with your podcast, your refing, and anything you do in, in, in soccer. That's one part of it. Um, what I already said with, um, when I touched on the VAR, um, Games should be officiated with the spirit of the laws rather than the letter of the laws. When I ref games, my, my games have very few interruptions. I prefer talking to players before blowing the whistle or pulling a card to keep the game flowing as much as possible. How do you encourage others to keep the game beautiful? Train them, that's one thing. Um, being passionate about it, like I said earlier. Where does all your passion come from? Where do all my passion come from? I think that's a spiral. It's because it, it, it starts with an interest, it grows into a hobby, and then when you continue to be involved with it, it, it becomes a passion. Just like you're passionate about what you're doing right now. That's not how it started. You know? it, it, it's, once you're passionate about something, you're in a spiral. And you don't, I don't know where, where, the, where the end is, but how do you grow passion? I don't know. For me, when, when I started coaching, it became, an, it became out of a necessity. My youngest daughter, her coach was in, in, um, in Rockwell Collins and had to travel a lot. So he uh, ended up canceling practices and games where I then said, oh, I, I can take it over when you're gone. So that was a necessity. And then I thought, oh, I can do this too. So the following year I was coaching and it was a hobby. And then soon enough, uh, being a weekend without my girls, I'm going through withdrawals. And, and whoever my girls are at that time are my girls. They grow very quickly on me and I'm getting very attached. And being a weekend without them makes me very anxious. How did your experience in the Netherlands as a kid relate to some kids' experience in the U.S.? Oh, how should I say that? Like I said, I, I played in the neighborhood. Do you see kids playing soccer in the neighborhood here? Not very often. Not very often. Some, some in your, your neighborhood grass behind your mm -hmm. house, but that's not every week, uh, every day in the week. For us it was. To, to get to a practice or to a game here in Cedar Rapids, you need a car. And drive ferries from 5 to 20 minutes to get to practice a game. Just a local practice a game. When you're 
in soccer involved in the Netherlands, you either walk to your practices and games, or most of the time you bike. Every kid has a bike and they bike. They don't need parents to take them to practices or games. They can go by themselves. You have a system of uh, relegation and promotion, even in the youth levels. So even a, a 10U team, when it does well, it promotes the next season, or when it doesn't do so well, it drops down in a lower level. If you play on, your, on a normal level in the Netherlands, you can go even to an away game on your bike. When you play in one of the top tiers as a, as a youth team, you sometimes have to drive very, very far, and then you can't go by your bike. You have to use a car, and you have to drive 15 minutes by car. Can you imagine having to drive 15 minutes by car to go to an away game? You get two hours to go to Des Moines, or, or an hour and a half to go to Dubuque. So it's a lot um, easier to get involved with, uh, with soccer than it is over here. If, if players like Lionel Messi, or um, Ronaldo, or Zidane Zidane, or uh, Johan, even Johan Cruyff would have been born over here 10 years ago. So now they would be in 12 years, 11 years. They would not be playing soccer because their parents were, were, were poor or, or blue collar workers. They wouldn't be able to afford uh, a car to drive into soccer practice or games. So, and that's not just comparing the Netherlands with the US, that's the rest of the world compared with the US. The US, it's, it's so spread out and um, yeah, you need a car to go to, go to a practice or a game. If you had to guess, how many coaches, players, and referees have you helped? Oh, dear. How many coaches? So I, I do the 10, 10 new coaches training every year. And we have 50, 10 new coaches every year. Oh, so that's a couple of hundred 10 new coaches. If it just goes for that training. Then referee training, I don't do the referee trainings anymore. We have enough. Um, instructors to, to cover that but when I still used to do it attendance was way higher than now I sometimes have classes with 50 uh, people in a class and that's twice a year so several hundred I would say so if I add them all up oh I would say like 500 or so four five hundred if it comes down to coaches and referees how did you first get involved with AYSO how did I first get involved with AYSO in my, my kids playing soccer, of course. So then I was just a parent, cheering on the touchline. And then, like I said earlier, um, coach of my youngest daughter had to travel a lot. So I stepped in, coaching for him. Then I ended up coaching and refereeing in the same year. And at the same time, when I went to a coach's meeting, they were looking for a webmaster. And I said, okay, I'm very busy. But if you haven't found one in three months, I'm willing to take it on. And three months later, they came back and said, yep, we still haven't found a webmaster. Can you please be our webmaster? And before you know, I was on the boards and I was the commissioner a year later. A few years ago, you earned recognition from the AYSO National Organization. Could you tell me a little bit more about that, the nomination and what it felt like for others to appreciate your work? So it wasn't as much as a reward for me personally as it was for our region. Our region um, has always been high, high scoring in, uh, in the nation because we follow uh, the directions that uh, the national office gives to us. 
Uh, we are a, a strong program, have grown a lot, where other programs were declining in their numbers. Um, we were a runner-up the year before, and then uh, the following year we were the, the, region, the region of the year, because we do our, uh, things like they want us uh, to run things, and we're a recognized program, um, the number one program in the nation. Why do you think the role of rec soccer like AYSO is in the game? or is a part of the game? If you look at uh, club soccer, like the FC United and CRSA programs, and uh, survey how many of those started in AOISO, then I would say 90%, maybe even 95% started in AOISO in recreational soccer. In a younger age, you can still join a club without tryout, but once you're an 11U, there's no way that without starting in a recreational program and, and get some touches on the ball that you would ever make it to a club soccer because in the tryout you will be uh, at the bottom of the list but you don't have any skills. You need to build up your skills somewhere, somehow. That's one side of it. The other side of it is um, you're depending on your parents when you're still young. And for a parent to commit to a club soccer program, uh, not only financially but also in time, it's quite a big step. So I think that a recreational program that's local is a first, first step for kids to uh, um, take the next step into an, a more, uh, more of a commitment for the families. Do you think it's important for rec soccer and club soccer to work together or do you often find rivalries? Oh no, there's no rivalry at all. That would be the same as you saying that there's a rivalry between a Ferrari dealer and a, and a minivan dealer. They they t they target different different um, di different groups. I I'm, I I don't have any intention to uh, compete with a, a Ferrari dealer. That's a different different uh, target group. How important is it that AYSO remains affordable for everyone? Yeah. So so like I said, you have to start somewhere. If you don't have a starting point for soccer players to um, get a passion for the game and then make the, the step and uh, become more involved and have that high commitment, then uh, soccer will quickly die. That's, that's, uh, that's my opinion. I know AYSO has the core, extra, United, VIP, and even adult league programs. Can you share a bit more about these options? So, VIP program is for uh, kids that cannot participate in the mainstream program because of a mental or physical disability and allows them to participate uh, with uh, help from abled buddies. The adult program is for the kids that are aged out after uh, they turned 18. They can join that program and then they can stay with the program until they're 99 because there's no, no upper age limit. And the AYSO United program, that's a club soccer program for kids that want to play it on a more competitive level uh, where they uh, have to commit to uh, put more uh, time and, and, and money into, into playing soccer. Extra, we don't do extra, but you could say that AYS United is kind of extra. Oh yeah, we do sometimes some extra opportunities where upper level kids can get a, a play an extra game or whatever, but we don't have an, an, an formalized extra program. You cannot sign up for it. 
Some colleges may only look at players that play in elite programs. Do you think a player can still play in college with only a rec program experience? Oh, absolutely. There's several ex examples even here in town that play with uh, Mount Mercy or with uh, Co College. I think currently at Mount Mercy girls program, there's one, two, three, four, probably five that played AYSO uh, in our program that are playing uh, for Mount Mercy now. How important is it that players continue to be involved in soccer once they finish with the AYSO core program? I hope they come back as coaches uh, once they have kids of their own that are uh, old enough to play soccer. So that's, that's, that's one side of it. The other side where they continue to play, that's totally up to them. If we, we got them the, the bug for playing soccer, if they have the passion to continue to play, then yeah, go for it. Why not? Yeah, so that's passion. So, so, and, and you sometimes see that in club soccer where um, um, they got burned out, yeah? When it's too much, uh, sometimes they come back to the uh, core the core program and then continue to play in the core program. And others just totally drop out and never come back. They had a, a, a poor experience and uh, they don't want to continue. But if, if it's a sport that it sits well with them and they have a good experience, and they grow passionate in the game, then they will continue to play. How much time do you spend on AYSO activities in a year? Oh, how much time in a year? I would say about uh, an average of 40, 50 hours a week. So that's times 52. You can do the math. <laughs> like 2,000 hours or so, isn't it? Yeah, something like that. About as much as I put in my day job. I want to spend some time talking about you as a coach specifically. When I was on your team, it was a 12U. I know this is an age you really enjoy to coach. What is, that, what is it that you like about that stage? So back then it was U12. So the kids were slightly older than they are now because the cutoff date changed. In that age group, it's not mom and dad that make the decision on what are you gonna continue to play of or you should try another sport. It's where, especially on the girls' side, the girls are more mature than boys. Girls make a decision whether they want to continue to play soccer or not. If I would have lost you in that year, you would have stopped playing soccer and done something else. Hmm? Yeah? In this case, you just um, had a good experience and you want to continue to play, and you're still playing. It's an, 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 an defining age where you see that after that age, it starts to drop off that kids drop out of the sport and, 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 and are not playing anymore. And um, I, I know, like I said earlier, my passion rubs off. I know that I, I can get uh, my passion to rub off on, on girls in that age group to continue to play and to get them to be passionate about the sport. In a rec program with the AYSOs, everyone plays philosophy. How do you manage all levels of talent? <laughs> How do you manage? You don't have to manage that all level of talent. Everybody gets an opportunity to play, period. Regardless of the skill level. I could care less. That's what I love about indoor soccer, where we just pull out the forwards every time and then send the backs in, in the younger ages. Everybody plays the exact same amount of time in, in all positions on the field. 
outdoor soccer you have a, a little more strategy to it so you play a little more positions but in that's what i love about indoor soccer because it's totally equal outdoor soccer you balance it a little more and you make sure that every time when you have a lineup for each quarter that it's in a, an, a lineup that can compete in that quarter and nobody is left out but um, how do you manage that yeah there's no no there's no managing to it you just Make sure that everybody gets their their playing time, because that's all, all. It all counts. If I ask anybody, it doesn't matter how old they are. Uh, would you rather be on the field, lose a game, or sit on the bench and see your team win? They will all say, "I'll bet, but rather be on the field and lose the game." How do you help each player have their best game? How do I help each player their best game? Yeah, you create you create an opportunity. That's, that, that's where it starts. You have an opportunity where a player can play. Whether that's their best game or not, that's mostly up, against them, up, uh, up to themselves. It's not up to me. I create an environment where you, um, you feel um, uh, confident that you can play your best game. But if you don't take that opportunity, there's not much I can do. But I try to create an environment where everybody feels encouraged by the way they're playing. I will, I will not chew you out for uh, a mistake on the field. I, will, might, I might bring it to your attention, but, but the intention to grow from that rather than telling you that you did something wrong. I know sportsmanship is important. What are some of the things you see players do that keeps the game beautiful? I have a pretty high expectation of sportsmanship, so for me, it's something um, above and beyond doesn't happen that often. I have to think about that a little more. Not something that comes to mind right now. Others than, than we've had in the, in the past uh, that got rewarded with patches, but I wasn't uh, immediately involved with those. No, no, it's more the opposite. If uh, some somebody goes uh, uh, on the own sportsman side, I make sure that I correct it. Because that ruins the game for not only the players, but also the spectators, coaches and referees, anybody involved. I was wondering if you could reflect on a few of the players that you've helped over the years and some of your favorite memories or some special players that you've kept in touch with for years. Oh, man. What I've been doing over the years is um, I almost every year, but I don't think in the year that you, that you were on my team, there's one that I work with individually before or after practice. That's, that's kids that show up early or stay late and then others work with them individually. And that are typically those that um, are not as confident as some of the other girls. And confidence is one of my pet peeves. And I always say that 50% of soccer is mastering the skills, but the other 50% is having the confidence of using those skills in the game. Yeah, you can be great in your um, touches, and you can always do two touches before you place a ball or you pass a ball. Uh, once you get pressure in the game, if you don't trust your um, two touches when the pressure comes, then you don't have the confidence to use it in the game. Yeah? So it's important that you get confident um, to use your skills in a game and um, I've worked with several girls over the years that um, 
I help grow in their game by growing the confidence in one-on-one -on -one training. And there's where my passion comes in. And I give, I give more than just my time. I've, I give, um, it, it, uh, how should I word that? It's part of my emotion that gets involved. Every, every season, after going to the tournament in Dubuque, knowing that that's the last time I have my girls play with me on my team, I usually drive home the whole way crying because I'm, I'm, I'm losing my girls. You become my girl. You were, you were one of my girls that year, just like it happens every year. I get very attached to my girls because um, giving passion, you give, you give a part of yourself. You get very involved and yeah, how should I say that? There's, there's, there's a bunch of examples that I will take, that take some time to, uh, to discuss those. And we only have two minutes, like I see. For the game starts, yeah, a couple of minutes. For our final question, what do you want people to remember about your contribution to soccer and the world? <laughs> about my contributions, they don't have to remember anything. <laughs> I just hope that the program continues the way it is and that it keeps growing and that there's still people that want to give their volunteer time to, uh, to, to grow the program and give kids the opportunity to play. Because if there's not a program like this in town, like I said, soccer will die. And there will be only an elite tier left for people that pays, paid tons of money to play, play soccer. No, so no, no monuments, no statues. I don't care about those at all. It's so great knowing that I have Hank by my side no matter what. I know I can call him up and ask him any questions, and he'll also ask me how my recent game went that I either officiated or played in. It's super cool to have someone like him. Like he said, passion spreads. So I hope this little story helps you out today and puts a smile on your face. And until I see you next week, remember to keep the game beautiful.